All right, third time's a charm. You know, it, it is what it is. These are the difficulties that we have living in the sticks. It just is what it is. So I appreciate everybody's patience. Welcome to the Gnostic Church and Academy of Lord Jesus Christ. I am your teacher of the mysteries and preacher of the heart, Brother Marty Leeds. Thank you all for joining me and sticking sticking with me. I really appreciate it. So we're going to cover a lot today. I'm just going to get going into it. I don't think we need to talk about uh, Canada much. If you guys caught what I just said, that's enough. Um, I think I've said enough. So um, let's let's go back here. Service every Sunday, just to remind everybody, 9 o'clock sharp, unless uh, my internet gets glitchy, then it might be an extra 20 minutes or so. But service every Sunday, 9 o'clock sharp. And once again, today we're, um, we're going to talk about Jesus walking on water, the beheading of St. John, and we're going to finish up the end of Mark chapter 6. Last Sunday, we did the Carpenter's Son. We looked at constellation norma and the southern crux constellation talked about raising the serpent up in the wilderness you know uh, we basically got about 14 verses in and because there was so much going on and there's equally as much going on in in the rest of this chapter and so i'm going to take my time today and we're going to get through it all because i don't want to make this into you know three sundays there's just so much going on here and so um, let's launch into it. Thank you all for joining me. I really appreciate it. If you get a chance, stop on over to GnosticAcademy.org. That's right, www.gnosticacademy.org, and you, be, you can become a member of the fellowship. You can become part of this congregation. Um, it's just the best way to support the work that I do here. It's 5 bucks a month, 14 quarterly, or 54 for the year, and that's a tithing. Best way to support the work, once again, tons of stuff over there. But books, podcasts, documentaries, music. Um, and it's just, you know, for five bucks a month, it's just an unbelievable, uh, it's just a perfect way to support what we're doing here and you get a whole lot in return. So, uh, basically my life's work for about five bucks a month is what she gets. So, okay. Appreciate that. All right, let's launch into it. Let's just get going. Today we're going to talk about reincarnation. We're going to talk about the Grecian myth of Orpheus. We're going to talk about um, <clears throat> the, the beheading of St. John and how that's a relationship to the Orpheus myth, myth, um, just uh, we're going to cover Jesus and breaking the bread and feeding 5,000 people. Jesus walking on water. There is a lot to discuss today. And like I said, so let's just launch into it. So before we do that, though, I'm going to say the prayer again. going to do this, have some formality here. Psalms 1, 1 to 1, 3 says this. Blessed is the man that walketh not in the counsel of the ungodly, nor standers in the way of sinners, nor sitters in the seat of the scornful. But his delight is in the law of the Lord. And in his law doth, doth he meditate day and night. And he should be like a tree planted by the rivers of water that bringeth forth his fruit in his season. His leaf shall not wither, and whatsoever he doth shall prosper. O Lord, giver of life and source of our freedom, we are reminded by the psalmist that yours is the earth and its fullness, the world and those who dwell in it. We know that it is from your hand that we have received all that we have and are and will be gracious and loving God. We understand that you call us to be stewards of your abundance, the caretakers of all you have entrusted to us. Help us always to use our gifts wisely and teach us to share them generously. May our faithful stewardship bear witness to the love of Christ in our lives. We pray with grateful hearts in Jesus' name. Amen. Okay. So let's launch into it. So we ended off last Sunday once again with, um, you know, basically just talking about raising the serpent in the wilderness, 
the snake, the southern crux, the carpenter, why he is a carpenter. We talk about repentance. We talked about the, the serpent, the mystical meanings of that. We went to the etymology of that. And so now we're just going to finish Mark. So this is Mark 6, 14. And so King Herod, and we'll discuss King Herod again today. Um, get a get a, get a get a taste of the the kind of absolute psychopath this guy was, and King Herod heard of Jesus. He heard of him. He heard of him. Pay attention. Heard of him, for his name was spread abroad, and he said that John the Baptist was risen from the dead. So King Herod, I'm going to read the first I don't know ten verses or something like that, and then we'll go back and pick it apart. Okay. And King Herod heard of him. He heard of Jesus, for his name was spread abroad. The name of Jesus was spread abroad, and he said. That John the Baptist, he just called Jesus John the Baptist. That John the Baptist was risen from the dead, and therefore mighty works to show forth themselves in him. Mark 6.15 says, Others said, that's, that's, uh, that's Elias. And others said, that, that is a prophet, or one of the prophets, or is one of the prophets. But when Herod heard thereof, he said, It is, it is John, that's whom I beheaded. He is risen from the dead. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in a prison for Herodias' sake and his brother Philip's wife, for he had married her. So this King Herod married his brother's wife. Sounds like a stand-up guy. <laughs> okay. For John had said unto Herod, It's not lawful for thee to have thy brother's wife. Now think about this. Let me stop a second. John, unbelievable badass, total rebel, right? He goes up to a king and he's like, hey, you shouldn't be married to your wife, sicko. <laughs> Therefore, Herodias had a quarrel against him and would have had John killed, but she couldn't. She could not. For Herod feared John. Why? Well, because he knew that he was a just man and holy and observed him. And when he heard him, he did many things and heard him gladly. And when a convenient day was come, that Herod on his birthday, so the convenient day was Herod on his birthday, he made a supper to his lords, his high captains and the chief estates of Galilee. This is what King Herod did. He's like, so he didn't make a, he didn't make a dinner to the, the, high, the most high, almighty God. He made, his, he made a supper to his lords and the high captains and the chief estates of Galilee. In other words, he was, he was basically making, instead of praising the Lord on high, he was making dinner for like the, the Bilderberg group and like the, the you know, the Rockefellers, it was like the gates were over. It's like, I'm going to make you dinner, right? King Herod for you. And then, and when the daughter of the said Herodias, which is King Herod's wife, and we'll get into this, when the daughter of said Herodias came in and danced and pleased Herod and them that sat with him. So this guy brought his brought a daughter in, and the daughter danced for him. Nice little dance, and he's like, "Yes, that's amazing." Now let me go and serve the Gates and the Rockefellers some more food. So this guy, total freaking creep, right? So his daughter came and danced for him, and pleased Herod, and this pleased him, and them that sat with him. So all the other crooks and cronies and degenerates, right? And the king, of course, this is King Herod said unto the damsel, ooh, the damsel again. We've revisited the damsel. We can already tell where we are in the sky if we've been paying attention. All right? So, um, okay, 
King Saradon to the damsel, ask of me whatever, whatsoever thou wilt, and I will give it to thee. So basically he's like, oh, you know, whatever you want, this little damsel that's dancing for me, I'll give it to you. And she replies, and he swear unto her, and he says it again, whatsoever shalt thou ask me, I will give it thee unto the half of my kingdom. You can have whatever you want, save for you know, half my kingdom. And she went forth and said unto her mother, once again, who are we talking about here? We'll go over all of this. What shall I ask you, mom? What shall I ask for, mom? And the mother says, the head of John the Baptist, bring me the head of a saint, in other words. So, and she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, saying, I will give that thou give me by and by in a charger, the head of John the Baptist. Now, a charger is literally a plate. So here's this king. He's uh, a total psychopath. He's making uh, his dinner for all the high priests and all the billionaires and the, you know, all the all the people that's like Jeff Bezos and the Elon Musks and the Bill Gates. He's making dinner for all them and all the other high priests and all this other stuff. And then he married his brother's daughter. And then the daughter comes in and dances for him. And, and this pleased him. And then she's like, and he's like, well, what do you want? And she's like, I want the head of a saint. He's like, I'll give it to you. But of course, King Herod is also a measly little coward because he couldn't do it himself, of course. They can never do it themselves, can they? They always have to send their minions, as we know in Canada right now. And she came in straightway with haste unto the king and asked, I will give, I will that thou give me by and by in a charger for the head, in a plate, the head of John the Baptist. And the king was exceeding sorry, yet for his oath's sake, and for their sakes, which sat with him, he would not reject her. So he was sorry because he's like, well, I promised you something I can't really give you because I'm not going to actually go kill the saint myself because I'm a walking, talking wuss. Um, and so what he did is he immediately, the king, uh, sent an executioner and commanded his head to be brought. And he went and beheaded him in the prison. So this guy, the king, such a wuss, made promises that he couldn't keep. Had to send his minions out to kill St. John the Baptist because he's like, oh, that's a holy man. I'll spend my life in hell. So he like, <laughs> you know, basically put it off on somebody else. Okay. So there's the beginning of that story. Okay. So, and we'll go back and touch on every little aspect of it just to give you guys a little taste. First thing I want to do is talk about these few lines here in the beginning of this. It says, and King Herod heard of him, Jesus. He heard of Jesus. Obviously, we're in the middle of the story of Jesus doing all his mighty works and all this other stuff. And he's like, oh, I heard of Jesus and his name was spread about. Everybody knew Jesus' name. But when King Herod saw Jesus, he didn't call him Jesus. He said, that's, that's John the Baptist. That's not Jesus. He's risen from the dead. Therefore, mighty works do show themselves in him. And others were saying, well, no, that's not Jesus. That's not John the Baptist. That's Elias. And then others said, no, 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 that is, that is, it is, a, it's a prophet or it's one of the prophets. Wait a second. Every, his name, Jesus's name is spread about every, you know, his name was spread abroad. Everybody knew it. Everybody knew who Jesus was. When they saw him, they fell at his feet, all this other stuff, right? They were all crowded in the, in Capernaum to see him. And when they were lifted the, the man down, everybody knew who Jesus was. But for some reason, King Herod does not. Why? What's, what's happening here? What is being mentioned here? Let's look at another verse from Matthew where it says essentially the same thing. Once again, these are sort of these patterns that you see repeated in the Bible. When Jesus came, this is Matthew 16, 13. 
when Jesus came into the coast of Caesarea Philippi, um, he asked his disciples saying, whom do men, this is Jesus asking his disciples. He says, whom do men say that I, the son of man, the light within man am? Who am I? And the disciples say, well, some say you're John the Baptist and some say Elias and others say, no, that's Jeremiah. Or others say, oh, no, it's one of the prophets. But Jesus comes and he's like, he saith unto them, but whom say ye that I am? And Simon Peter, Simon Peter, as we know, which is Aries, the first person that he, that he um, when he went to anoint, not anoint, but um, when he you know, called out his disciples, named the disciples, the first one he named was Simon Peter. So he asked Simon Peter, Aries, the lamb, the ram, the head, the Simon. He's like, um, and so Peter answered, Simon Peter answered and said, I know who you are, Christ. You, thou, art the son, art the Christ, the Christos, the Son, the light of the living God. So what's happening here? What's happening in these verses? This is a recognition of reincarnation. Period. Okay? King Herod, why when every human being has the Christ, their true self is Christ. That light within you, the Son of Man. Notice when it says the Son of Man, it's between I and am. Whom do men say that I, the light within you, the scintilla of the spark that animates and enlivens every single human being, who is that? You get born into this world, right? The spark, the light of God gets born into this world. And that light, that spark gets put into a body. And that body arrives here at a certain time and a certain place. And next thing you know, all these things get pushed, uh, put, um, grafted onto the human being. Oh, your name is this. Oh, your social security number is this. Oh, you were born in Wisconsin. Oh, you're this and this and this. All of these actual carnal falsehoods that when you get past all of those things and you get to the core of who every single human being is, who is that inside you? It's God. It's Christ. And you strip all the carnal, all the material away. All of those things that are passing and fleeting. Was I really born in Wisconsin? No. Wisconsin is in arbitrary lines drawn in an arbitrary country, in an arbitrary state that at one point, that wasn't Wisconsin, two, three hundred years ago, that I wasn't born in Wisconsin. I was born on a tract of land. So what is Wisconsin? It's a falsehood. You understand what I'm saying? It's just yet another thing that people came along and said, that's what this is. Not for long it won't be. Wisconsin won't be Wisconsin forever. Am I really Kevin Ryan Martin McNally? Am I the letters on a page? Am I the letters on a, is, is that me on a social security card? No. Those are all the things that are grafted onto you, that are put onto you, identi identifiers to say, oh, that's who you are. When you get down to the brass taxes, when you strip everything away, do you know what you are? You're the living Christ. And you can only see that when you've had that, that enlightenment, when you've had, when you've, when Christ has reached you, you can look into another human being and be like, oh, that's the living God. God is what is inside that, that son of man, that light of man that is animating that vessel right now. That's what it is, period. Now, why couldn't King Herod see it? 
Why couldn't he? Why did King Herod be like, that's not, that's not Christ. That's John. I beheaded that guy. And others are like, no, it's Elias. And others are like, no, it's Jeremiah's. No, it's a pro- it was one of the prophets. No. Do you see what's happening here? Jesus asks the first person that he brought with him and his disciples, oh, no, 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 I know what they're saying. I know oh, it's John the Baptist, Elias, Jeremiah is one of the prophets. I know what they're all saying because they can't see. They don't see with that eye. They don't see the God that exists within every single human being. And Jesus says, but whom do you say that I am, St. Peter? St. Peter knows. Simon Peter knows. Thou art the Christ, the light of the living God. Exodus 3.14 is when God unveils himself. says, I am that I am. Because what can you ultimately say about the living being? I am. That's it. Everything else is a falsehood. It's something that will float away. Throughout the sands and vicissitudes of time, all of that is carnal. All of that is material. All of that is temporary. What's inside you ain't. It's permanent. It's eternal. And this is what he's saying. This is the, you know, this is why King Herod, this psychopathic king who went around and murdered all the children under two, when, think about it, Christ comes, this is the beginning of Matthew, like I said, this is going to be a long one today. This beginning of Matthew, Christ comes, and all of a sudden the king hears of it. He's like, bring me this child, right? And when they couldn't find Christ, what did he do? He sent his minions out to kill all the children under the age of two. So here's a genocidal, psychopathic king murderer who's making his dinner for the high priests and the, you know, the Galilee and all this other stuff. Heaven is marrying his brother's wife and having his daughter come out and dance before him. He's an absolute tyrannical psychopath. And it's very clear. That's why he could not see Christ. That's why he's like, no, that's, that's not Christ. That's John the Baptist. No, it's not. It's Christ. Reincarnation is known as rebirth or transmigration. And I'll tell you this, it's impossible for you to truly understand the deeper messages of the Bible without understanding in in negating reincarnation. Reincarnation is the notion that this earth here has a purpose, right? Earth as it's teleology is what it's called. It's basically it's understanding things in, in for their purpose, right? So Earth, it was like, there's a God. Okay, we got all that. And it's, it was created by that God. I mean, it's flat and stationary, right? We all know that. So God must have had a purpose for making this earth. And the purpose, the teleology, the purpose of earth is a rites of passage for souls to come down here to purify themselves and return to Christ, return to God, to recognize the God in the material world. Through all the impermanence, all the things that are temporary, all the things that are corruptible, to find that which is not. Hold on to it, put it in the center of yourself, and recognize that salvation here on earth. Reincarnation is the notion that souls come down here continually until they get it right. It's rebirth or transmigration. It's the philosophical or religious belief that the non-physical essence, which is exactly what we're talking about, of a living being begins a new life in a different physical form or body after the biological death. 
unless they reunify with God, which is at the core. Reunification with God is at the core of literally every religion. Reunification is the central tenet of Indian religions. Um, of course, most people are like, it's not in the Bible. As we were just showing, these verses do not make a lick of sense. Why is anybody questioning who Jesus is? Because they're trying to tell you who Jesus is. It's significant, however, that in the early days of Christianity, reincarnation was accepted. So for all you, um, <laughs> all you Orthodox out there, St. Augustine talks about reincarnation. It's mentioned in... in <laughs> so all these people are like, God, St. Augustine was just this great saint. Yeah, apparently he believed in reincarnation. So interesting. Um, once again, this cycle of rebirth. I'm not going to go into too much of this. The Aztecs believed that reality was on the other side of death. The Mayans believed that death was a step into a very similar place. The soul goes to the underworld and then is reborn in another human being without keeping any memory of their previous life or time spent in the world. Ultimately, once again, undergo that until you return home. Confucianism, the souls of the dead live in heaven with the Shanghai deity. Reincarnation was incorporated into Confucianism. With the influence of Buddhism, Confucianism, Taoism, Buddhism, a more modern concept of Brahmanism, is one of the largest religions of the world. And, you know, you can end life with, um, and end suffering through meditation. Reincarnation is a mainstay of Buddhism. Hinduism, reincarnation. Sikhism, reincarnation. Vedism is a very ancient religion, disappeared before Hinduism. Based on the Vedas, of course, um, they also state that our current situation of, in life is a consequence of our deeds, what we have done in previous lives. You are put exactly where you need to be, exactly in the body you need to be, to learn everything that you didn't learn in the past life. And we're all here for the same thing. Brahmanism, Jainism, all believe. Gnosticism. Gnosticism believe in the cyclical return of souls to the prison of matter through reincarnation. The cycle of rebirths was broken by Gnosis, which is what we'll talk about in probably a couple Sundays from now. Judaism, um, even though there isn't a explicitly says in Judaism or whatever that there's reincarnation, it's all over Kabbalah. Reincarnation is not officially recognized, though it appears in the Kabbalah, which is absolutely true. Norse mythology, the Sumerians, Zoroastrianism, all have basic aspects of, or at least concepts of rebirth, reincarnation within these religions. Now, most people think that, once again, it's not in... Christianity. This is a this is a, a document. I think I have this on my website. I think it's Jeffrey Dobson is the name. But some of these, once again, if you read it correctly, you'll see um, reincarnation is made obvious in the instance of the man born blind. So this is John nine uh, one to one, you know one three nine one to three. Um, and as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from birth. So why did God punish this man with blindness from birth? Well, God wasn't punishing him. God was doing, God was putting that, that soul exactly in the position that they needed to be in to learn whatever they didn't learn in the last life. So I'm assuming maybe that this guy that they're talking about watched too much porn or something. <laughs> That's why he's blind. So, so as Jesus passed by, he saw a man which was blind from his birth. And the disciples asked him, saying, Master, who did sin? Who, who did the sin, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? And what did Jesus answer? Jesus answered, Neither hath this man sinned, nor his parents, but that the works of God should be made manifest in him. So it wasn't the man in the physical body that had done the sinning. 
And it wasn't his parents. But what was what was happening? The Son of Man, the light inside man that enlivens and illuminates that divine spark within him. The last life. He did something and so God had to make his works manifest in him to prepare him for his journey on this life. One of the big ones that I always point out and I've yet to hear any Christian give me any reasonable explanation other than, well, no, it's not what it says in the Old Testament in original Hebrew or something. Once again, it, completely admonishing the very, the very language that we use to communicate with one another in order to hold this theory. This is Genesis 1.28. And I've said this before, and God blessed them and God said unto them, be fruitful and multiply and replenish the earth. Re means to do again and plenish comes from the word plentiful. So here we are in a story of Genesis, a story of creation for the first time. And what do we have? A replenishing of the earth. Do you know what the, do you know what the book of Genesis is? I mean, we'll, we'll go over it, but it's, it's the, I mean, it's a story of every single human being coming to earth. The six days of creation and resting on the seventh is to tell you about your cosmology and also to direct you exactly where God is, exactly where that son of man is, the light of man. So why was, why was this dude born blind? Because God wanted to punish that man. No, he was born blind because he, had to, he was still had residue from the last life. Okay? So this is exactly what is being mentioned here. King Herod, he could not see Christ because he was a living psychopath. He had daughters dancing for him and he went and murdered children and he made, he made his dinners for the high priests. He wasn't worshiping Christ. He wasn't worshiping the Lord of on high. And that's why he's like, oh, it's John the Baptist or it's Jeremiah or Elias or one of the prophets. I don't know because I can't see Christ. Got it? Mark 6, 16, when Herod heard, heard thereof, he said, it is John whom I beheaded. That's not Christ, that's John. He is risen from the dead. So, and then for Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in a prison. And we'll get to the prison. We'll get to Philip, his, his brother, his brother's wife, his brother Philip and married his wife. Right. Then we also hear about, of course, this is the damsel. We heard about the damsel. And the king and the damsel and Herodias, his wife. What? Where are we once again? Well, we're we're back right in the stars above. Where's the? Who's the king? The king is Cepheus. It's the king and queen of Ethiopia, Ethiopia, if you want to say King Herod. That's King Cepheus, and Cassiopeia is Herodias, and that's his wife. Okay. Now, um, the damsel is of course Andromeda. There's your damsel, damsel in distress. So, the, so all of it, once again, this story, we're right back in the canopy of the stars above. We're, it's a retelling of Grecian myths once again. We haven't, we haven't left where we are this entire time. We've done, this is the sixth chapter in. We're still in the canopy of the stars above, still dealing with the exact same constellations. Okay. Once again, he heard him. He heard him. He heard him. Right, and we'll get into that in just a second. Okay, so... There's our, there's our King Cepheus. Oops, excuse me. There's King Cepheus, King Herod, Herodias, right? Now, once again, Herod was a monster. He tried to kill all the children under the age of two when he couldn't find Jesus. 
And then he's like, whatever you want, daughter, I'll, you want the head of a saint, I'll behead him. And then I won't because I'm a total wuss. Right? The beheading, this is the beheading of Saint John. Okay? As we just read. It actually happens in, and we'll do this when we do verses of Matthew. I'm sure we'll get to this. Chapter 14, verses 1 through 12 recounts John's death. According to Matthew, Herod imprisoned John. We'll get to the prison because he criticized Herod's marriage to Herodias. So once again, John is going, think about this. Just think about how much of a rebel Jesus is. How much of a rebel John is, right? Jesus went into the synagogue and the day you're not supposed to, and it's like, yeah, I'm going to teach and I'm going to heal people. And all and all the, all the all the Pharisees and scribes are like, you totally can't do this against the law and stuff. And Jesus is like, eh, I really don't care. Don't, I don't really care at all. I think your laws all suck. I'm going to go right into a synagogue and teach the day you're not supposed to. People think that Christ is like this just gracious, loving being that just came down and like all this stuff. B.S. Bull honky. He was a rebel. He called out, you know what I mean? He and his disciples called out kings. He did exactly what the law told him not to do. Flipped over the tables of the, in the, you know, the money tables and the, the, the money exchangers, the tables in the temple. Goes into like, ah! He was angered at the hardness of their heart. He called them out for being swines and pigs and dogs. Why don't, why is it that you can go to any church across the land and you're never going to hear about the psychopathy of King Herod and the trickster rebelliousness of Christ our Lord? It's written right there. So, Herod. I was going to kill St. John. I was going to behead him. And Herod fears to execute him because he's like, oh, he's a saint and I'm going to go to hell. Right? And so there's your beheading of St. John. Tons of different paintings of this. Okay. Here's yet another one. Sent, you know, sent some executioner down because you're a fat, lazy piece of human excrescence, King Herod. So, who, what's up with the king, what's up with uh, the beheading of St. John? What is this? Once again, this is a retelling of a Grecian myth. Okay? Many of us will remember the tale of uh, Orpheus and Eurydice from our childhood. Probably don't because we weren't taught this stuff. But embellished with images of the tragic musician who could enchant the whole of creation with his music. And even moved Hades to tears. But was unable to save his beloved. Did I miss any super chats here? Sorry, I haven't been in the chat. Oh, thank you all for joining this morning. I really appreciate it. 99 watching. Hey, that's not bad. That's not bad. Uh, um, okay. So, uh, Eurydice and Orpheus. Grecian myth. And Orpheus, as you can see right there, Orpheus was beheaded. And... Usually it's next to a lyre, which is a stringed instrument, and we'll get into that. So the first thing we notice in the symbolist, um, symbolist depictions of Orpheus is that the vast majority focus on the decapitated head and the lyre. And the lyre is a, you know, it's a music instrument. The dead Orpheus, in other words, continues to sing even in death. So Orpheus, even though he was beheaded, continued to sing in death. Okay. His head and lyre in the foreground, as you can see, there's tons of these. I'll show you this in just a second. There's tons of this. Orpheus with his lyre. There's some nymphs on the left there. They're looking into the water, and they're like, oh, that's a decapitated head on the lower right there. There's Orpheus in his head. 
right? Next to a lyre, a musical instrument. There's another one, copy of ancient Greek vase depicted on Orphic Oracle with the severed head. This Oracle was still singing, okay? It's important. The pieces of Orpheus' corpse ended up in the river where his lyre and his head continue to sing mournful hymns. Um, it's based on the Argonautica, which we've already talked about. Um, Argo Navis, we've covered that enough. We'll cover that again next week. Um, Argonautica is basically Jason and the Argonauts talking about the constellation Argo Navis sailing the Milky Way. Orpheus heard their voices. He drew his lyre and played music that was louder and more beautiful, drowning out the sirens' bewitching songs. His songs were captivating. He sang after death. It charmed all of living things. The, the major stories about him are centered on his ability to charm all living things with his music. The lyre and its magical powers combined with the vocals of Orpheus. So not only was Orpheus playing all these magical tunes on his lyre, on his stringed instrument, he was also singing. And he was singing and charming animals, charming all of these um, of the, everything in creation, essentially. Okay, In Greek mythology, the lyra... Um, represents the lyre of Orpheus, and it's made by Hermes. Once again, now we're back to Hermeticism, straight back to the Hermeticorpus. Okay? Orpheus was the founder of the Dionysian Mysteries, and the Orphic Mysteries are considered a later evolution in the same. In both cases, we find a strong initiatory element interwoven into the mysteries of death, and rebirth. The Orphic Mysteries, just like the Dionysian Mysteries, just like all of the mystery schools, are all about death and rebirth. There's not a single one that you can go to, including modern-day Freemasonry, that will not have elements of death and rebirth in that, okay? And this is what Orpheus is. Orpheus is, the, the whole point of the singing head is that He's dead, he's decapitated, and yet, guess what? He still lives on. He's still singing the glory of God. He's still charming all of creation with his music, with the sounds of, of the music of our Lord, okay? And this is exactly, so well, Orpheus, well, let me say this to Orpheus's, um, actually, we need to go into that. Let's do this. What is John? Remember, we're talking about the beheading of St. John. This is what's happening in the story. Okay? Oops, sorry. Beheading of St. John. Cutting his head off, serving it to a king on a platter. Jesus! That's some wicked stuff, man. Right? And so, and here we have Orpheus, and he's singing. His voice. He's got a lyre, musical instruments, and he's singing. What's the first thing we hear about in John 1.1? In the beginning was the word, the sound of God's voice echoing throughout creation, creating all things, represented as our Lord, Lord and Savior Christ. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. Okay, so here we have Orpheus, who is singing and playing music, enchanting all of creation, and here we have St. John, and the first thing we, we hear about with St. John is his word. In the beginning was the word, and the word was with God, and the word was God. The same was in the beginning with God. All things were made by this word, by this sound. And without him was not anything made that was made. Okay. Now, let me go back. I'm going to have to go back here, but this is Revelation 15. Okay. And this is right after you hear about 666 and the number of the beast and all this other stuff, right? And this is what you read. And it says this. 
And these were all the saints that had defeated the serpent and were now with God in eternal life, upstairs of the Most High, singing and playing the harps of God. They had reached salvation, eternal life. And I saw, as it were, a sea mingled of glass. That's the glass crystalline dome of firmament in the sea of the waters above, mingled with fire. And them that had gotten victory over the beast and over his image and over his mark and over the number of his name. They defeated Draco. They cut his damned head off. They grabbed the serpent. It's like, I got you, bitch. Right? And they were walking with Christ. They, they were living in the way, the truth, and the life. And they were standing on the sea of glass at the most high, Polaris. And they were having the harps of God. But moreover, and they were singing. They sing the song of Moses, the servant of God, and the song of the Lamb, saying, Great and marvelous are thy works, Lord God Almighty. Just and true are thy ways, thou King of saints. What do you think? Were they worshiping Cepheus there? Cepheus and Cassiopeia? No, the King of saints. Not the king, the king of Mo, on Most High. Not the king of the lords that were, you know, feed, you know, feeding the unclean spirits and the swine and had dinners for Jeff Bezos and Bill Gates and, you know. No. They were singing with the harps of God on the Most High with Christ Almighty. Harps of God. Singing with the harps of God. A harp is a string musical instrument that has a number of individual strings running at an angle to its soundboard. It's literally a lyre. L-Y-R-E. The strings are plucked with fingers. It's literally a lyre is literally a related instrument. It's a variation of a harp. Okay? So there's your lyre and there's your decapitated head. But it doesn't just end there yet. So let's go back here. Once again, John, his vibrant voice. In the word, Revelation 14, 2. And I heard a voice from heaven as many as a voice of many waters and as the voice of a great thunder. And I heard the voice, harpers harping with their harps. I heard the voice, Orpheus's voice, enchanting all of creation with his lyre up there in heavens, still singing after death. Why? Because he beat death. He's immortal. And I heard a voice from heaven as a voice of many waters, as a voice of a great thunder. That sounds like the voice of God himself, does it not? And I heard the voice of the harpers harping with their harps. Sing unto the Lord with the harp, with the harp, and the voice of a psalm, Psalms 98.5 says. 1 Corinthians 14 says this, And even things without life-giving sound, whether pipe or harp, except they give distinction in the sounds, how shall it be known what is piped or harped? Look at that language. Okay? So there's John. He's with God. That's why he's he's decap he's a saint. He's a saint. He's walking with Christ. He was decapitated. No, no, it's no big deal. Still lives. Okay? There's your harp. There's your lyre. Now, there's a constellation called Lyra. And it's literally there's Hercules. It's literally right in the same area. There's Cygnus. We've already talked about Cygnus. Lyra was often represented as a star. Maps as a vulture or an eagle carrying a lyre, carrying one of these winged instruments. So you can see here, this is a, so there's the lyre. There's the winged, there's the winged bird. That looks like sort of a duck there, but it's usually given an eagle or a vulture, right? So more often than not an eagle. Okay. And there's the lyre. So there's 
St. John, and we'll, we'll see this in just a second. St. John, decapitated head, singing after death, and there's his lyre. There's the harps of God. Now, it's an eagle constellation. Once again, the lyra was often represented on a star maps as a vulture or an eagle. Now, once again, St. John is represented as an eagle. Okay? So there's your lyre. There's your decapitated head. There's your king and queen, Herodias and Herod, and the damsel. There's your harp, or your lyre. Lyra. It's actually called lyre. There's your eagle. There's St. John. Now let's go back and read again. Um, oops, sorry. His brother Philip's wife, by the way, um, that is in here too. This is, sorry, let me go back here. Too many graphics, too many graphics. Uh, Cepheus is sometimes called the son of Phoenix, in which case his only brother was Phineas. So he only had one brother. Cepheus did, as it turns out. And that's exactly what they mentioned in the verse. Philip, one brother. So there's that. Um, he had married his brother's wife. And then John's like, ah, oh, you shouldn't have done that, you pervert. And total rebel. It's like, I'm going to kill you. Cut your head off. And of course, he's a saint. He's with Jesus upstairs singing. The king immediately had it executed, right? So that we, are, we all saw this. Damsel comes, dances, promise you St. John's head. Can't do it because I'm a total pansy. I'm going to hire an executioner to do it. The executioner comes out and does it, right? And then what happens in Mark 6, 28 says, and brought the head, brought St. John's head in a charger on a plate and gave it to the damsel and the damsel gave it to the mother. Once again, it's very clear to see where, where, where we are upstairs in the canopy. Cassiopeia, Cepheus, and Andromeda. There's the damsel, King, uh, King Herod, Herodias. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Mark 29 says, And when disciples came and heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. Well, once again, Delphinus is known, the constellation Delphinus is known as Job's coffin. So he laid it in a tomb. He laid it in a coffin. And right next to that coffin, literally right across from the birds of that coffin, you got Sagitta there, uh, Cygnus, Aquila, right? Aquila and Cygnus there. Delphinus is known as Job's coffin. The main asterism in Delphinus is Job's coffin. Delphinus is recognized for the diamond-shaped pattern formed by its bright stars, known as Job's coffin, which outlines the body of the celestial dolphin. So there's Orpheus's lyre, where St. John's head is, and that's where the disciples laid him, in Delphinus. Now, this is all Grecian, so for those of you that are paying attention, what do you think the Delphic oracle is? The oracle at Delphi. Yet another, this is one of the Delphic mysteries. Where, what are they talking about here? What happened at the Delphic oracle? 
There was a serpent that was revolving around the center of it. And then there was a woman on a tripod and she received messages. And this was the Oracle at Delphi. This is all reference to the stars above. Okay. Does everybody get that? <clears throat> the bird. Yes. All right. Thank you all for joining me. Looks like 123 watching. Not bad. Okay. Like I said, it's going to be a long one today. A lot more to cover here. All right. Let's go back. So, John. Oh, my Lord. Too many graphics here. Oh, uh, we can go back here. So, he bound him up and put him in a prison. This is Mark um, 6, 17. For Herod himself had sent forth and laid hold upon John and bound him in prison. What is the prison? Well, the prison is uh, just, here's a, it's actually a Chinese thing, but you'll, you'll get this in just a second. So the Chinese actually call Ursa Major um, the Celestial Prison. And this is Chinese constellations. This is not Grecian, but you'll, it'll make sense in just a second here, okay? Now, so Ursa Major. Now, we already know Ursa Major is part of the circumpolar constellations. So we have Ursa Major, Ursa Major, Ursa Minor, Cepheus, Cassiopeia, and Draco. Okay, and Draco is the dragon, and that's the one you'll see it. It's going to come at the bottom there. It'll be in yellow, right? Boom, there. That's Draco. So it's at the top now. I'll show you again. And there's Draco. So in the celestial prison, a prison, this is what it's known in, in once again, Chinese uh, astrology, if you will. Ursa Major is known as the celestial prison. But think about in the terms of like a damsel in distress and a king and a queen and they're in the castle and things like that, right? What is the prison? Well, that's where the dragon is. That's where the Draco is. That's where they put they put them in a prison, just like the damsel was, you know, was uh, the, the hero had to go and fight the dragon to get the damsel to, to um, once again, have that celestial marriage, that, that alchemical marriage. So he put him in a prison. He put him exactly where Cepheus and Cassiopeia are. They're the king and the queen, and that's the celestial prison. It's a dungeon. It's a prison. What's in the prison? It's the serpent. Okay? So, does everybody get that? Job's coffin, there's where he... Where's where the disciples found his body and laid him to rest? There's the decapitated head. There's the lyre. There's singing the harps of God. The sound. There's the scorpion slash eagle. You know, it's, once again, I, I, I need to mention this, but what do literalists think this stuff means? Well, I can tell you, they have no idea. They literally have no clue. Why? Because they're not Gnostics. Because the very tools needed to unlock what this stuff means they wholeheartedly reject them and then call people that follow that you do that stuff demon worshipers they reject the very tools to help them understand christ within that's why being a gnostic is so unbelievably important so let's move on all right we got all that right is everybody following me Okay, lots more here. Lots more. Okay. <sighs> Brought his head on a plate, and the damsel, which is Cassiopeia, or excuse me, uh, Andromeda, damsel gave it to the mother, which is Queen Herodias, Cassiopeia, father, King Herod. Of course, that's Cepheus. And when his disciples heard of it, they came and took up his corpse and laid it in a tomb. 
took up his corpse, laid it in Job's coffin, right next to the head of the liar. Okay? And the apostles gathered themselves together onto Jesus. This is the 12 ages, 12 houses, signs of the zodiac, gathering together around the center and told him all things, both what they had done and what they had taught. Mark 6, 31 says, And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place, and rest a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so as much to eat. And they departed in a desert place by ship privately. Mark 6, 35, I'll just read this. And when, they, when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place. Okay, we'll get into the desert place in just a second here. I'll let you ruminate on that. Remember when we talked about how King Herod heard, and he heard, and he heard, and he heard his name. And then, who was the person that we were dealing with? I forgot to mention this. Who was the person that we were dealing with, the main character in that entire story? St. John. And what did St. John do? He's the Word. He literally announces the Word. Not only with his voice, but with the sounds of the harp. So here we have all of these little tells. All of these are tells in the story. That any, um, any person that's actually studied like classical works of literature, this stuff pops out to them. Okay? He heard... He heard him. He heard him gladly. And he heard him when he heard his name. He heard of Herod, that sort of thing. It's all mentioning the fact that St. John and his music, the sound of the word. Okay? Okay, I just wanted to mention that because I totally missed that. Missed that. So, Okay, now let's go back to uh, the desert place. Come you yourselves apart into a desert place for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure, and they departed him unto a desert place by ship privately. And then when the day was far now spent, his disciples came in and said, Hey, this is a desert place. What's a desert place? Well, what exists in a desert? Is it camels and lynxes and leopards? That's, what's, that's the kind of animals that you'd find in a desert place, right? A desert place. So, where are we in the sky? Look at the context of the story once again. Brought his head and charger. This is the damsel. We got that. Laid his corpse. Put it in the tomb. Got that. And the, and the disciples, they gathered together unto Jesus. All 12 of the houses of the zodiac looked at the center of the pole star on the most high. And that high from the divine taught, told him all things. Right? And he said unto them, Come ye yourselves apart into a desert place and rest for a while. For there were many coming and going, and they had no leisure so as much to eat. What is the what is the the poetic language happening here? Many were coming and going. The wheel was constantly spinning. Those the zodiac was constantly spinning, and all the all the you know the 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 people that were following Jesus and the multitude and the throngs of people that sort of stuff they were constantly spinning. They were constantly going and going and going and going and going. They had no leisure. Because they were constantly on the wheel of fortune, the wheel of faith, the wheel of karma. What happens when you get off that wheel? You're into salvation, into eternal life. What's reincarnation? It's constantly being shoved back onto the wheel of fortune and fate to not do your work here. To not recognize the Christ within. You don't do that. Don't follow that way, the truth and the life, which leads you to the 
point on high. Then you're going to get stuck on that wheel, constantly spinning around. They were coming and going. But they departed into a desert place. So there's, look, that orange line right there, that's the ecliptic. That's where Gemini, Cancer, that's your 12 houses, right? Right there in blue is the Milky Way. Okay, so basically what you have is the Milky Way right here, and then, and that's the, the, the river of stars. So all those stars constantly, throngs of people constantly going, constantly coming and going. And then, of course, you have the spinning ecliptic, which is what? Constantly coming and going. And where is the lynx, the leopard, and the camel? Of course, there's Leo Minor there, too. If you notice, Leo Minor there. What, what's in deserts as well? Lions. So they went to the desert place. And where's the desert place? Well, it's by the lynx. It's by the camel, it's by the leopard, and it's by Leo Minor. Leo Major's just right there too. That's your desert place. And, and so it's not going with the ecliptic, and it's not going with the stars of the Milky Way, and it's in this deserted place over here. And what's in the desert? It's camels and, and lions and leopards and lynxes. Literally the animals you would find in a desert. Mark 6.33 says, And the people saw them departing, and many knew him, and ran afoot thither out of all the cities, and outwent them, and came unto him. They all left, they, they, all, they all went to the center, in other words. That's what the people were doing. They're like, oh, they saw him. Oh, you got to go to the center. And Jesus, when he came out, saw much people and was moved with compassion. Ooh, compassion he was moved with. He had compassion for the sinners, compassion for the swine, compassion for everybody. What's the root of the word compassion? Compass. Goes around. Carpenter we're dealing with here, right? Because they were his sheep not having a shepherd. That's why he was They re He realized that they were seeking truth and they didn't, they needed him. They needed truth in order to actually find it. They were sheep and they were lost. Okay? Why is, why is he the shepherd? Okay? I mean, you know, the zodiac man. Once again, that's enlightenment. That's your that's your pineal gland. That's the top tippy top of the of the temple of the human being. That's the Aries, the Lamb, the Ram, the Shepherd. He is leading you. Christ is leading you straight up, straight up. It's a straight and narrow gate. You're not twisting around with some serpents and doing all this crazy shit. Nah, -uh. you're going the straight and narrow way, straight up into that temple to the high place right here. That's why he's a shepherd. The shepherd once again heard. It's called a herd. Old English shepherd, sheep from herder or to herd. If I just said the word herd to you and didn't give you context, what did I say? Did I say a group of sheep? Or did I say, did you just listen with your ears? To hear. To hear, perceive, by the ear, listen, obey, follow, accede to, grant, judge. What do this, what do the sheep herd? What did they hear? They heard the word of the lamb. What did King do? What did King Herod do? He heard Jesus' name. And what did he say? That's not Jesus. What did all those other people that weren't enlightened say? That's Jeremiah's. No, that's, that's Elias. No, it's one of the prophets. No, it's St. John. 
And what did his first disciple say? The first person that he, that, that Jesus Christ, when, he's, when he was, you know, um, what do I want to say, anointing or, you know, collecting the first 12 or whatever, right? The first person he said was Simon Peter, which means what? To hear. Literally means to hear. And where's your ears? They're on your head. So the shepherd is trying to get you, the sheep, to go straight and narrow right up to the tippy top and hear the word of God. And Mark 6.35 says, And when the day was now far spent, his disciples came unto him and said, This is a desert place. This is a place where... <laughs> I love this. This is where the camels and the lynx and the lions and the leopards are. Camel Lepardus. Camel Lepardus. Constellation, lynx, the camel leopard, camel Lepardus, lions, tigers, bears, oh my. Okay? Does everybody get that? Okay, let's... Oh, did I miss one here? I want to make sure I didn't miss any. Uh, Mark 6.36 says, Send them away that they may go into the country roundabout and into the village. And exactly what we just said. They left the cities and the town. They try to go to Christ, which is in the center. And he sent them roundabout because they are sheep and they need a shepherd, right? And into the village and buy themselves bread for they have nothing to eat. Why don't they have anything to eat? Once again, well, we'll see that in just a second. And Mark 6.37 says, This is where Jesus feeds the multitude, walks on water, and feeds the multitude with two fishes and loaves of bread. Mark 6.37 says, And he answered and said unto them, Give ye them to eat. These people are hungry, feed them. And they say unto him, Shall we go and buy two hundred pennyworth of bread and give them to eat? Mark 6.38 says, He saith unto them, How many loaves have you? What do you have right now? Go and see. And when they knew, they say, Five and two fishes. Five and two fishes. Say it again. What do you have? What do you got to eat? I got five loaves of bread and two fishes. And he commanded them to make all sit down by companies upon the green grass. And they sat down in ranks by hundreds and fifties. Notice hundreds and fifties. That's all multipliers by ten. And what is it? Five, ten. Those are all sly references to the hands. Hundreds, that's nothing more than ten times ten. Fifties, five times ten. Those are all math of your hands. Mark six thirty or Mark six forty one says, and when he had taken the five loaves and two fishes, he looked up to heaven and blessed. And he broke the loaves, five loaves of bread, and gave them to the disciples to set before them. And the two fishes divided he among them all, and they all did eat, and they were all filled. And how many were there? There was five thousand people that he filled, filled up with two fish, five loaves of bread. And they took up the 12 baskets full of the fragments and of the fishes. What are the 12 basket baskets? Once again, subtle reference to the 12 houses of the Zodiac. And Mark 6.44 says, and they did eat of the loaves were about 5,000 people. Okay, this is quite the miracle. Jesus fed 5,000 dudes so much so that it's not like they just, oh, they were, it was pretty good to eat. They were filled. Okay. So obviously this is not talking about literal loaves of wheat and rye and a couple fish. Okay. This is talking about spiritual nourishment, spiritual nourishment. That's how Jesus, you know, basically, you know, took bread and multiplied it. This is what he did. Think about this. It's going to be important. 
He took this and he multiplied it so that it could feed everyone. This is the spiritual sustenance because guess what they're doing? They are feeding from Christ. Christ is feeding them now. Okay? Five loaves of bread and two fishes. Well, we all, you know, this is pretty, you know, once again, if you've done any sort of study of astrology, this is pretty clear references to what's going on here. The, the two fishes are, are, are Pisces, okay? And the five loaves of bread are what's known as Virgo, which is known as the house of bread. Now, these constellations, these houses are right across from each other on the zodiacal dial, okay? They're right across from each other. So what this is doing, think about this. What did Jesus just call out? Or what did, what did these people say? They had five loaves and two. They just created pie on the zodiac. Think about it. A line straight from Pisces to Virgo. What did you just do? You just cut the zodiac in half. Top and bottom. That's what you did. You created the geometry of pie. That's the first thing that you did. Okay. Everybody get that. Virgo and Pisces. Okay. We all know Pisces is two fish. Pisces is two fish. Virgo, the Virgin Mary is the constellation Virgo, also known as Virgo the Virgin. Virgo in Latin means virgin. The ancient glyph for Virgo is an altered M, right? So Virgin Mary. This is why Mary, along with other virgin mothers, such as Adonis' mother Mira and Buddha's mother Maya, begin with an M. Virgo is also ref referred to as the house of bread. And the representation of Virgo is a virgin holding a sheaf of wheat. The house of bread and its symbol of wheat represents August and September, the time of harvest. Bethlehem, in fact, literally translates to the house of bread. Bethlehem is thus a reference to the constellation Virgo. Okay? Bethlehem, Arabic, Bat-Lem, house of meat, house of bread. In Egyptian mythology, the time when the sun was in the constellation Virgo marked the beginning of the wheat harvest, thus connecting Virgo back to the wheat grain. In Christianity, Jesus was born to a virgin in the town of Bethlehem, which literally means bread. So when we go back here and he said, okay, well, Jesus, he's like, hey, how many, what do you got there? What do you got to eat? He's like, two fish, five loaves of bread. Well, this is them basically feeding off the spiritual sustenance of Christ. This is why the constellations are up in the heavens. Okay, the two, the two fishes, Pisces, the five loaves of bread, Virgo, okay? Once again, right there. Now, why five loaves of bread? Several reasons. Number one, Virgo is five letters. V-I-R-G-O is one, two, three, four, five. Five letters, okay? But the most important thing is, is number five, the five loaves and two fishes add to what? Seven, right? This is... Watch this, guys. Watch this. Unbelievable. Five loaves and two fishes. Says it twice. How many you got? Five loaves and two fishes. That adds to seven. You got seven total things to eat. And from that, Jesus is going to multiply this bread, break it and multiply it, and, and give it out to all of these people that they will all eat and they will all be filled. And how many? And they took up the 12 baskets, 12 houses. That's you know clear reference here. And they did eat of the loaves, which were about 5,000 men. They took up two fish. 
five loaves of bread, total of seven, and they ate about and and they fed about five thousand men. Notice it says about five thousand men. Why five thousand? Mark 6.44 says, And they did eat of the loaves which were about 5,000 men. Why 5,000? Five loaves plus two fishes equals seven. Do you know what multiplying one through seven is? One times two times three times four times five times six times seven is 5,040. So they took the five loaves and the two fishes, and he multiplied that, and he fed all five, about 5,000 men, and they were all full. A carpenter is giving you some math here, guys. 5,000 men. Why 5,000? Five loaves, two fishes. One times two times three times four times five times six times seven is 5,040. Just about 5,000. This all is a reference to the mathematics of your hands. I'm not going to... I've gone over this so many times, but... Um, so... Um, you know, if you're familiar with this, this will be a review. But once again, 1 times 2 times 3 times 4 times 5 times 6 times 7 is 5,040. And 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, adding through 7 is 28. And 5,040 divided by 28 is 180. So multiplying 1 through 7, there's your about 5,000 men that he filled up with his two fish, two fishes and five loaves. Adding 1 through 7, 28. 5,040 divided by 28 is 180. What's 180? It's a holy trinity. It's a holy trinity. That 28 is on your hands. For those of you that are not familiar with that, most of you should be. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12, 13, and 14. And 14 times 2 is 28. So there you go. So astronomy, biology, Mathematics, parable, allegory, Grecian myths, just loaded. Just loaded, this, this whole chapter is. Okay? So there we go. 5,000 men. There's the 12 baskets. There's your two fish. There's your, there's your five loaves. Okay? Mark 6.45 says, And straightway he constrained his disciples to get into the ship. Once again, Argo Navis. And we'll cover that next week again. And to go to the other side before unto Bethsaida. While he sent away the people. Okay, what's Bethsaida? Bethsaida is known as um, the house of the hunt. So the Bethsaida means house of the hunt in Hebrew. Okay, so he's saying that they, they left that place and they went over to this other place. And it's, this other place is given a very specific name. And it's called Bethsaida. And Bethsaida means house of the hunt. Okay. And Beth means house and Sida means to hunt. So where are they now? Well, they're in the house of the hunt, the house of the hunter, Orion. Okay, so where are they now? They just went from, they went from this other place. They went from this desert place. So they were over here, right? And you can see there's Andromeda and Cassiopeia there. And right, there's, there's Christ in the center. So they went from this desert place where there's a bunch of lions like Leo Major uh, Leo Minor, Leo Major, uh, the lynx and the leopard and the camel. So they left that desert place and they went over to this other place. And that other place is called Bethsaida and that's the house of the hunt. And that's, of course, Taurus. 
Taurus is the bull. Of course, that's Orion, which is right by Taurus because um, he is the hunter. And right below Orion is a bunny. It's a hare and a bunny. So what is Bethsaida? It's the house of the hunt. It's the house of the Taurus. Literally the house, which is a zodiacal term, of Taurus, the bull. Orion is out hunting bulls and bunnies. Literally went over. Okay? So, and then it says, so there's Bethsaida. We got the desert place. We got Bethsaida. We know where we are. We know what we're reading. It's, it's unfortunate too many do not. So thank you all for showing up this morning. I really appreciate it. Okay. So uh, um, Liz the Iron Maiden is here. Jim Malone is here. Jacob Law is here. The Hippocrates, Hippocratic Matrix. Benjamin Balderson is here. What's up, BB? Cat Links, Beth Luce Henson. Thank you so much. B is here. I appreciate everybody that's here. Okay, am I still, my video is probably still glitchy. Oh, well, whatever. So once again, went to the house of the hunt. Okay, let's read on. Mark 646. And when he had sent them away, he departed into a mountain to pray. And when uh, Eve, even was come, evening, but they give you a, a mathematical term. Interesting. The ship was in the midst of the sea and he alone on the land. What's the, um, we, we saw the house, the house of the hunt. We saw that. Now what's the mountain? Well, there it is. The mountain is the high place. Okay? The tippy top. There's North Star. There's your pole star. And what's on the mountain? It's all the place. It's all these lines that are going all the way up to the tippy top of the dome, the firmament, the very top of the place. And what's on the mountain? Well, there's bears and snakes. That's what you find on a mountain. And of course, who sits on the mountain but the king and the queen up on high? <laughs> and this is what we're saying the mountain. Okay? And we all have to climb this mountain, period. Every single being here will eventually have to climb that mountain. You might have to come back a few more lives. We don't know. That's up between you and God. But we will all have to climb that mountain. We will all have to go up and be like, ah, piss off, king and queen. You're not my king and queen. You're the king and queen of, you know, allegedly anyway, with your psychopathy of the material world and the carnal world, which is... BS. It's all nonsense, right? You're all going to have to go and just as St. John did, be like, hey, you probably shouldn't marry your brother's wife, you retard. <laughs> You're going to have to face the dragon. You're going to have to face the bears and the snakes in the wild. We're all going to have to climb it. That's where Jesus is. Mark 648. And he saw them toiling and rowing. Once again, they're on the ships. They're upstairs in the canopy. They're constantly moving around that zodiac, toiling and rowing. For the wind was contrary unto them. Once again, the, the evil winds. We've talked about that, how Jesus is that station, that, that uh, the place in the center, right? The Galilee, literally the defense against the wind. He stops the wind. That's Christ. He's seeing the people that are all being bashed about by this wind. And about the fourth watch of the night, he cometh unto them walking upon the sea and would have passed by them. But when he saw them walking upon the sea, they supposed it had been a spirit and cried out, for they all saw him and were troubled. Immediately he talked with them and saith unto them, Be of good cheer. It is I. Be not afraid. Don't be afraid. I'm the living God. I'm right within you. This is Jesus walking on water. I don't really think you need to... I mean, what did we just talk about? Two fish. 
literally like four lines ago, we were talking about two fish. So people have this notion of Jesus like literally walking on water or, you know, some people will say, well, it's the reflection of the sun on the water. That's not, that's not bad. But there's this very specific thing that they're saying on here. They're saying here, Jesus walking on water is recognizing that Jesus's fish or Jesus's feet are Pisces. They're two fish. And what's the water? It's the waters of creation. It's the waters upstairs. Jesus is walking with his two fishy feet in the spiritual waters above. And he's like, and they, they all saw him and they were troubled because they hadn't been living the life of Christ, right? They haven't been, they haven't been on the way of the truth and the life. He talked with them and said unto them, Be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. Okay? Be not afraid. Be of good cheer. Let's say this. I'm just going to mention this because I don't want to go too much into it. It's more math. But all of these things that Christ say have very specific math that they're pointing to every time. Everything that comes out of Christ's mouth is literally a riddle in which, you know, and we did a bunch of these, right? We, the last, I don't know how many, we stopped. It's like, look, this is exactly what Jesus is saying. And here's the math to it. Okay. There's no different here. Be of good cheer. It is I be not afraid. This is a total gematria of 121, which is 11 squared. It's 1111. So for all you people that know 1111, there's a whole phenomenon we could talk about there. But most people know the time prompt phenomenon of 11-11. It's 11 squared. 11 times 11 is 121. So be of good cheer, it is I. Be not afraid. That's 121. Total number of words is 10. Once again, a reference to your hands. Total number of letters is 29. The 10th prime number is 29. Okay? There's a lot more I could go into there, but I just, I just wanted to you know, point that out, that every time you see Christ saying something specific, there is very extremely specific mathematics that are being relayed to you, okay? And that should make sense, considering he's a carpenter. Okay, moving on. So, and he went up into, uh, Mark 6, 51 says, and he went up unto them into the ship and the wind seized. They went to the safe place of Christ. They went to the center of the whole thing where the winds are not whipping around. You're no longer carried along by the wheel of fortune, the wheel of karma, the wheel of fate. And they were sore amazed in themselves beyond measure, beyond measure. You mean Christ is this place that's beyond all things, even math itself? Yes. 10, 9, 8, 7, 6, 5, 4, 3, the Trinity, 2, you know, division, 1, wholeness, 0, nothing. What's before 0? What's before any numbers were ever even made? Any human being was ever made? God Almighty. Mark 6.52 says, For they considered not the miracle of the loaves, for their heart was hardened. Once again, they couldn't see. They couldn't see the miracle. Just like when Christ went around and he's like, well, I got to leave here because I can't do no more mighty works save for lay my hands on a few people. And I was astonished at their unbelief. What's, what's, what? They don't, they don't see it within them. They don't believe. They don't have the recognition that God Almighty has centered himself within the human temple. They couldn't see the miracle. Their hearts were hardened. 
Mark 6.54 says, And when they were come out of the ship, straightway they knew him. Straightway they knew Christ. And ran through that whole region round. There we are, back in the Zodiac. And began to carry about in beds those who were sick. Where they heard he was. They heard he was. The sick. Where are the sick once again? Are they actually sick? This is spiritual sickness. They're lost sheep. And whithersoever he entered into villages or cities or country, they laid the sick in the streets and besought him that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. And this is what we'll finish off here. This is the end of the chapter. So he besought him, once again urged them, like you passionately urged him, that they might touch, if it were, but the border of his garment. Remember remember we talked, I think it was chapter 3, talk about the, the, the woman came and pressed behind and she was sick. And she's like, I just got to touch the garment. I just have to touch the border of his garment. What does this mean? What does this mean? And then it goes on to say, anybody that did touch the border of Jesus' garment, and as as many touched as touched him, they were made whole. They were no longer divided. They were no longer separated. They were at one with God. They've unified with God. They touched that garment. When you touch that garment, it's the wholeness. What are they referring to here? This is known as the, the seamless robe of Jesus. The, allegedly, what's you know the, the myth of the folklore here is that the robe that Jesus wore was seamless. What's the symbolism of seamless here, right? There's no, it's all one. There's no seams. There's no separation there. There's no place where the two things came together. It's just unified. It's a hermetic seal. It took the top of the bottom and boom, and it's one thing now, okay? And this is what it's meant by to reach out and touch even the garment of Jesus. Because man can't stand outside the unity of God. God's unity is seamless. It's not like we can stand outside and be, you know, it's like this notion of standing outside of God and looking at God and be like, hmm, interesting. This is what you look like. Oh, I can get, you can't do that. It's impossible. As soon as there's any alleged separation from God, you get sucked right back up into it. Okay. So this is them just being like, I have to touch this unity. I have to get to this place. If I can even just touch the end, just the very outside of it, I will be sucked up into that greater whole. And this is exactly what Jesus is saying. You find me, you find unity, you find wholeness. You touch that garment, you'll be made whole. Once again, wholeness. Quite a message from, uh, quite a message from a carpenter, a guy with that does math all day, wouldn't you say? Okay, is everybody? That's it for today. I think that's that's the end of Mark uh, chapter six. And so, like I said, next week we're going to be doing uh, something a little bit different. And then we're going to touch on Gnosticism. I want to get back and talk about Mark chapter 7. Mark chapter 7, not so, um, I kind of want to, hopefully, this is what I'm going to do anyway, put aside some of the astronomy and some of the math and stuff like that, not cover that at all, and basically just extract the spiritual message from Mark 7 because it's really heady in Mark 7. So um, that's what we'll do. Next week, though, we're going to do... Noah's Ark and the um, this the symbolism of the dove the holy the dove is the Holy Ghost that's what we're gonna do and it's going to be a banger it's uh, it's awesome okay just I can't wait to show you guys next Sunday so please if you're gonna if you're gonna see any of these come back for next Sunday because you if you have any hair which I don't it will be blown back I promise um, just unbelievable revealings in the Bible so I feel very 
Very blessed. Very gifted. Thanks again, Marty. Snowed last night. The mountains are calling and I must go. How appropriate. Yes, small axe. Thank you so much. Thanks to everybody that comes by and supports um, um, supports the work. Uh, I need your support. I do. I need, uh, I need help continuing to do this. So, and that includes financial support. It just is what it is. So I appreciate everybody that does stop by and it takes a lot of time to do this. As you guys know, obviously, uh, I put all the graphics together. I pour over the Bible. I've, you know, researched my entire life. Um, you're basically getting, like I said, my lifetime's worth of knowledge and work here um, for essentially free. So anybody that can help out the church, I really appreciate it. It means the world to me. And so that's going to do it. Guys, um, have a wonderful Sunday. And let's do this. May you always keep yourselves in the love of God, looking for the mercy of our Lord Jesus Christ unto eternal life. May his grace be with you all. Amen. Next Sunday, once again, same bat time, same bat channel, same bat place. And like I said, we'll do Noah's Ark and the Holy Ghost and the Dove of the Holy Ghost. And it's going to be a whopper. It's going to be awesome. So, okay, guys, that's going to do it for me. Thank you so much. As always, many blessings and much love to all.